This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Over the weekend, demonstrators around the world gathered to demand action on the climate crisis. From the Philippines to Sydney, Jakarta to Paris. The largest protest was in Glasgow, host city of COP26, where organisers claim over 100,000 people attended. The message everywhere was the same. The impacts of the climate crisis are already being felt, particularly in developing nations. We must act now. Announcements at COP26 last week focused on forests, finance and methane. But equally important are oceans. From The Guardian, this is Science Weekly and I'm Madeleine Finlay. COP26, day seven. How oceans can help fight the climate crisis. When we think about industries that are major carbon emitters, we usually think of the fossil fuel industry. That the world must stop using fossil fuels by the end of the century or face catastrophic consequences. And when it comes to carbon sinks, things that capture and store carbon from the atmosphere, a process known as carbon sequestration, trees and soil seem like the obvious solutions. Planting trees is good, of course, but it's nowhere near enough. But activities like bottom trawling, where giant fishing boats drag heavy-weighted nets across the sea floor, emit around the same amount of CO2 globally as the whole of the aviation industry. Oceans can be part of the solution too. They're thought to absorb at least a quarter of the world's CO2 emissions. And this is known as blue carbon. To find out more, Guardian biodiversity reporter Phoebe Weston went to a restaurant near the SEC to meet one of the world's leading ocean conservationists, Dr Enrique Sala, who was at COP26 for, amongst other things, Ocean Action Day. 
He's also explorer in residence at the National Geographic Society. Um, my job is to help protect as much of the ocean as possible. Actually, we have a goal of helping to protect 30% of the ocean by 2030. And am I right in thinking you started in academia and then moved over to conservation? Indeed, I am a recovering academic. Uh, I was a professor at the University of California, and my job was to do research on the impacts of humans on ocean life. One day I realized that all I was doing was rewriting the obituary of the ocean with more data, more precision. So I felt like the doctor who's telling you how you're going to die with excruciating detail, but not offering a cure. So that day I decided to quit academia and dedicate my life to ocean conservation, to the cure. Can you tell us what are the main things threatening our oceans today? There are so many things, but we could talk about the three main. One is overfishing. We are taking fish out of the ocean faster than they can reproduce. And as a result, over three quarters of the fish stocks are overfished. Number two is pollution. And today everybody thinks about plastic pollution because it's become so conspicuous. But there are many other pollutants that we cannot see that are equally dangerous, like mercury or heavy metals. And the third one, of course, is climate change, which is making the ocean warmer and more acidic, killing coral reefs and other marine life all around the world. How are these damaging our oceans? What do our oceans look like now and what did they look like in the past? I just came back from an expedition to the Southern Line Islands in the Republic of Kiribati in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And this place is like a time machine because nobody lives there. They are very remote. There is no fishing. They are fully protected as a marine reserve. And there we can see what the ocean was like before. It's extraordinary. You, as soon as you jump underwater, as soon as your bubbles clear, you are surrounded by sharks. Then you look that down. It's uh, Sharks are fantastic. You know, when you go to Africa, you want to see lions, right? When you go to coral reefs, you want to see sharks. If there are no sharks, it means that that place is, is, has been degraded. So many fish, beautiful corals. There are still a few places that are the last baselines we have of what the ocean used to be like. But also these places are so crucial because they also can help us determine, identify, decide what type of ocean we want for the future. And okay, so we've spoken about um, biodiversity in the ocean and you mentioned that climate change is a key driver of decline in ocean ecosystems. How does the ocean fit into meeting our climate targets? How is it going to help us keep warming to below 1.5 degrees? People see the ocean as a victim of climate change, but it's also one of the big solutions. In which way? Well, the ocean absorbs a quarter of the CO2 that we expel into the atmosphere every year. That sounds good. The problem is that that CO2 makes the ocean more acidic, killing corals and other marine life around the world. So what we need to do is to make sure that the ocean can capture and sequester that carbon forever. And what's the best place to do that? It's the seafloor. We have found, our research has found that the seafloor is the largest carbon storehouse on the planet. The first meter, the top meter of the sediment on the ocean floor contains twice more carbon than all the soils of the land. Wow. Then comes bottom trolling. This bottom trolling, which is the most destructive fishing practice, plowing the seafloor with these huge and heavy nets, disturbing the sediment and the carbon in it, 
and then when this, that carbon is again resuspended in the water, part of it goes back to carbon dioxide. And so what you're talking about is blue carbon, and it's something that we know relatively little about, isn't it? The, we know very little about the ocean in general, but yeah, people hear blue carbon, they think mangroves, seagrass beds, salt marshes. These are coastal habitats that are so important, not just because hectare by hectare they absorb more carbon than forests, but also because they provide barriers for the coastal zone. But again, the seafloor is the largest carbon storehouse. It dwarfs um, any other uh, blue carbon compartment. If we can reduce bottom trawling, we would help marine life come back in these places and reduce carbon emissions significantly. But also, our research shows that if we protect the right places, the fish will grow so much and they will produce so many more eggs, which together with the spillover of adult fish are going to help to regenerate, to replenish the areas around these reserves. Creating these reserves is one of the key goals of something known as the Global Ocean Alliance, which was set up in 2019. And on Ocean Action Day, it was announced that over 100 countries are now supporting a 30 by 30 target to protect at least 30% of the global ocean by 2030. Phoebe asked Enrique about which countries needed to do more. There are countries that are catching the most fish in the world and probably number one country in terms of the footprint of of fishing is China. It has the largest fishing fleet. They are fishing everywhere. But also we have the European fleets like the Spanish one or Japan, South Korea, Indonesia, countries that have a huge fishing footprint. Is any country doing it right? No country is doing everything perfectly. But there are countries that are doing something right. And when you think about ocean protection, we, are, we have this target right, of 30% of the ocean protected by 2030. Some countries have already done that or even exceeded it. Gabon, for example, in West Africa, has protected 28% of their waters. Seychelles, 30%. Palau in Micronesia, 80%. So there are countries out there that are showing the way to others. And it sounds like marine protected areas and no catch zones and things, that's the key to success? If we want to obtain the most benefits from protected areas, they have to be fully protected, which means no extraction, no fishing, no drilling, no mining. Otherwise, we are not going to get the recovery of marine life. What we've seen is that in areas that are fully protected from fishing, the abundance of marine life increases 600% within a decade. I guess that's one thing that's particularly exciting about oceans is that they do recover much quicker than most terrestrial ecosystems. You're absolutely right. We have seen it. We have so many studies. I have seen it with my own eyes. I have seen places that were degraded are now pristine again within a decade. Mm -hmm. We know that if we give the ocean the space and the time, it will bounce back spectacularly. And this is something that we don't see on the land. On the land, we can replant forests. In the ocean, we cannot do that. It's so much more difficult. The best way to regenerate the ocean is to let the ocean regenerate itself. (laughs) Want a a martini? (laughs) We're getting martinis. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Pleasure.
there was also another important pledge on oceans at COP26. Es un mecanismo de canje de deuda por conservación. El canje de la deuda ecuatoriana. Correcto, canje de deuda ecuatoriana. Todo parte... On Tuesday, Panama, Ecuador, Colombia and Costa Rica announced an initiative which would join and increase the size of their protected territorial waters, creating one of the world's richest pockets of ocean biodiversity. That's all for today. To keep up with our daily COP episodes, subscribe to Science Weekly on your preferred podcast app and head to theguardian.com for all our excellent COP26 coverage. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, They're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.